It's good to have everyone who's here. I only put one air conditioner on this morning. Normally we have all three going because I was frozen solid. You know, I'm wearing the jacket because I am actually cold this morning. <laughs> it's weather, I tell you. It's, uh, it's cold for us, amen? amen? Have all the kids left for Sunday school? All the kids out there? All the ones who are in Sunday school, that's good. Praise the Lord. It's good to have our visitors here with us this morning. Welcome. Traveling up from New South Wales. They came north for the winter, but I uh, found out that it's still winter up here. <laughs> amen, amen. Well, we're going we're gonna to continue on with our, our series that we've been talking about for the last few weeks um, because we want to be a disciple-making church, amen? amen? We want our church to make a difference in the lives of people and, and ultimately, really, the only true measure of a success that a church has is are we making disciples? If we wanted to fill a room full of people, we would very easily be able to do that. All we would need to do is advertise a free lunch for everybody, and I can promise you we would fill up every single chair in the house. All we would need to do is offer $10 per seat, and we would fill every seat in the house, amen? But it's not just about putting people in the chairs, is it? There's got to be an outcome to their life. They've got to be learning and growing and becoming more like Jesus. And really that applies to everybody, doesn't it? It's not just the new people who come in the door, the new converts, the new saints, but everyone, every single one of us, whether we've been serving God for five minutes, five months, five years or five decades, there needs to be a continual growth. We need to be learning and becoming more like Jesus every day. Amen. Amen. We don't stop growing. At any point in a child's development, if it suddenly stopped growing, you've got a problem, right? If your 13-year-old stops growing and he's only this tall, there's something not right there. They're not healthy. Something's wrong. Amen? Amen. And so there's a continual growth in our life. And in the church, it should be the same. Our spiritual life should be one of growing. Amen. Now, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 19, that we are to go into all the world and make disciples. Amen. And that's what we want our church to become. But if we want to be like that, we have to be intentional. Everyone say intentional. Lewis Carroll said, if you don't know where you're going, any old road will do. Amen. If you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter what road you take, you'll get there. Amen? Because you've got to have a direction in mind. Amen? And, and our church, we want to have a direction in mind. And our direction is to be a disciple-making church. Amen? It's not about increasing attendance. It's not about increasing offerings. It's not about just even getting more people baptized or more people filled with the Spirit. But unless people are growing and changing and becoming disciples and becoming disciple-makers, then we're failing in our mission. Amen? Amen. Over in Indiana... In the city of Columbus, there is a shopping center. And in that shopping center, there is a um, contraption, for lack of a better word. It's, a, it's an art installation that was designed by an engineer. And every Tuesday, it's called Chaos One. And every, I think it's every Tuesday, every Thursday. One of those days, they fire it up and they turn it on. 
and it's got a steam engine in it. I think it's a steam engine from memory, and it fires up, and it begins to move, and it's got little whirly bits over here and little spinny bits down here, and the gears all grind as they move, and, and everything kind of changes, and all sorts of things move and shake and rumble and rattle and squeak, but at the end of the day, nothing happens. Nothing, it doesn't produce anything. It just makes a whole bunch of noise and a whole bunch of movement and a whole bunch of whizzing and grinding and banging, and, but nothing, nothing comes from it. The problem is, is that as a church, sometimes we can be so focused on delivering a great program and a great experience. We're making lots of noise and doing lots of things and seeing lots of things happen, but is something being produced? Hello? Is something being produced? And, and, and the thing is, is that as a church, disciples are our output. That's what we want to be producing, right? We spoke a little bit about this last week. If I put a banana seed in the ground, I'm not going to get pawpaws. I expect to get a banana, don't I? At some point in my life, I expect to harvest bananas from that. I'm not going to get anything else but bananas. No matter how many banana plants I plant, I am always going to get bananas. I am never going to get pawpaws. No matter how many pawpaw trees I plant, I am never going to get coconuts. No matter how hard I pray, no matter how hard I fast, no matter what I ask God, it's going to reproduce after its kind. And so as a church that needs to be full of disciples, we need to be reproducing after our kind as well. Amen. We need to be creating disciples. We need to have a process whereby disciples is what comes out at the end. And these people turn around and make more disciples like themselves. Think about it like this. At an automobile factory, or car factory, I should say. Automobile is very American. A car factory. Some people say I sound like an American. Maybe, I don't know. At a car factory, when you make a car, all cars are different, right? We've got a whole bunch of cars out there, and they are all different, aren't they? Different colors, different badges, different models, different makes. But yet, there is still some things about the car, all the cars that are out there, that are the same. Amen? Every single car out there has two orange lights on the back and two orange lights on the front. It doesn't matter what kind of car you buy in Australia, it's going to have two orange lights at the back, two orange lights in the front. I'll tell you something else about cars. All the cars we've got out there, every single one of them, assuming nobody rode a motorbike to work to church this morning, every single one of them has four wheels on the ground. Right? Every single one of them has a steering wheel. Every single car out there has mirrors on the side right and so you can see that it doesn't matter what the make or the model of the car is there is still characteristics that are the same across all of them no matter the color no matter what factory it came from and when we're talking about disciple making it's the same thing it doesn't matter what the disciple comes out they're going to be unique but there will be certain characteristics that we are looking for that says that is a disciple of Jesus Christ Right? Because every disciple should have these characteristics, amen. Every person who is in this church, if you consider yourself a disciple, you need to have some certain characteristics that identify you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. Is that true? Do you believe me? Amen. We'll talk about it in just a second.
What are some of these characteristics? Catch up with my notes here. Here's the first one. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to go to John chapter 8. And we're going to look at these from two perspectives. One, do, do I have this characteristic in my life? And two, when someone new comes into our church, are we building this characteristic into our life? And I think the first question is the most important because if we don't have it in our life, how in the world do we expect people who come to our church for the first time to be able to put it into their life? Amen? Like if you're trying to teach your kid not to get angry with people and yet they see mom and dad getting angry with people. Right? You teach your kid, don't yell at people. And then someone cuts you off and you're out the window with your child in the back seat. You're like, hey, what are you doing, you moron? Learn how to drive, you idiot. What's that telling your child? This makes sense, right? This is just logical. So it's the same thing when we want to be a disciple-making church. We can't sit here and go, well, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to do this and be like this and and act like this and, and have these kind of characteristics, but not have them in our life. Because it's not a matter of do as I say, but not as I do. We have to live our lives as an example for this world. Amen. So here's the first one, John chapter 8 and verse 31. Then said Jesus, everyone say amen when you're with me. Amen, John. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Let's just say that again. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Right. So these are Jews right? who say, Oh yes, Jesus, we believe in you. Oh yes, Jesus, you're our Messiah. Oh yes, Jesus, we will follow you. Jesus turns around and says, Well, hang on. Before you tell me that, here's the proof. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. So the first characteristic that we need to make sure that we have in our life as Christians, in our life as disciple makers, in our life as an example for people who come into our church, the first thing we need to have is this ability to abide in God's word. Amen? The word abide means to exist in an environment. A plant abides in soil, doesn't it? If I go out there, and there's some really nice trees out there. If I was to rip that tree out of the ground and stick it on the concrete, is it going to grow? No, it's going to die. It has to be in the soil to live. Have you ever noticed... These are the weird things I noticed. Have you ever noticed when you pull a fish out of the water, it's not really comfortable. It doesn't like it. No fish gets pulled out of the water and goes, oh yeah, that's better. I was looking for some fresh air. No. We've got two goldfish at our home, B1 and B2. They don't like it when we pull them out of the water. Now, we don't pull them out of the water for long. We stick them into another thing so we can clean the tank out and change the water and all sorts of stuff, right? But they don't like, why? Because a fish has to abide in the water. It's got to be in the water. It has to stay in the water for it to live. There has to be an abiding there. 
Now, let me just flip this around now. You pull the fish out and you sit it on the bench and you say, okay, I'll tell you what, fish. I will let you be in the water on Sunday at 9.30. We'll have prayer together, life class, preaching. And then you've got to come back out of the water. Hello. You can't negotiate with a fish like that. The fish has to be in water all the time or it's going to die. But here's the thing. When we look at our Christian lives, our spiritual walk with God, sometimes we're just happy going, well, you know what? I'll be in God's Word on Sunday at 9.30 to 11.30 or maybe 9.30 to 12.30. But then after that, you know, I'm just, I've got things to do. I've got work. I've got life. I've got family. I've got problems. I've got circumstance, situations, all sorts of stuff happening. So I'll come back to the water next weekend. No fish is going to live like that, are they? No plant is going to survive that. You pull a plant out of the ground and you leave it on the hot concrete for the whole week and then replant it just for a few hours and then rip it back out again. No, there's got to be an abiding there. There's got to be this, this idea that I've got to stay there. All you're going to get from that is a dead fish. All you're going to get from that is a dead plant. So a disciple who abides in Jesus' word is someone who reads and studies and works to understand God's word. Amen. A disciple's environment for survival is God's word. Every part of it. We've got to be living in it, studying it, thinking about it, meditating on it, allowing it to turn over in our minds. Amen. A disciple outside of the word is like that fish that's outside of water. You cannot survive. Now, you might be able to survive as just an attendee of church. You might be able to survive as a member of church, but you will never survive as a disciple, a true disciple, if you are not abiding in the Word of God. Amen? So what does that mean for us? Here's the first thing we need to understand if we want to be a church that makes a disciple. And we need to understand it if we want to be teaching people from God's Word. The first thing we need to understand is that God's Word is held up as the authority for our Christian life. Every home Bible study I teach to anybody, no matter if they've known God for five minutes or if they've known God for five decades, they just want to learn more. Every Bible study I teach starts with a lesson on the authority of God's Word. We have to accept that God's Word is the authority for our life, amen? Because without it, we're not abiding in it, right? Does that make sense? Bible is held up as authority. This means that any question that gets asked, you know, and, and I, someone knocked on my door one time. For some reason, people don't like knocking on my door to talk to me about God. Maybe it's because the first time they come, I like to do a Bible study with them. But I had someone knock on my door one time and they were telling me, did you know that there are two gods, God the Father and God the Mother? And I was like, whoa, Okay. So I said, really? Wow. And they're like, oh, yes, 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 watch this video. So I very politely watched the video. It was very interesting. And I said to them, I said, well, what does the Bible say? They said, oh, yes, yes, let's go to the Bible. So I opened the Bible. They showed me the two scriptures that they had to, to hold that point. One was in Genesis. One was in Revelation. And I said, well, what does the Bible say about this? And what about this? What about this? And they said, oh, but you know, don't you know that the church is blah, blah, blah? And I said, well, hang on. 
Let's go see what the Bible says. And after a while, they got really frustrated because I kept going back saying, what does the Bible say? And, and see, so many people, they knock on the doors and they want to know, what's your opinion? I don't care what my opinion is. My opinion doesn't matter. What matters is what does God's Word say? What matters is am I living my life according to God's Word? Because especially as the pastor of the church, if I can't hold my life up to this Word and say I'm being obedient to everything I know in God's Word, and not just that, but I'm studying it and growing and learning and adjusting my lifestyle, that is what a disciple maker needs to look like. There's someone who lives their life according to God's Word. Because here's the thing. Don't you know people are not interested in your opinion? Everybody's got an opinion. Tell you what, you know, at our, our lunchroom at work, you know, if it's a bit quiet, no one's really talking, we'll just say something like, so what did you think of Scott Morrison's last policy decision? Woo, eh, the conversation starts. Everybody's got an opinion. Right, so what did you think of this? What did you think of that? And everyone's got an opinion they want to share. But as a disciple maker of Jesus Christ, we do not base our opinion on man's wisdom. We have to base it on God's Word because God's Word is the authority. Amen? Someone say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. This means for people who come to our church, we need to be encouraging them, challenged and teaching them to read God's Word for themselves. Psalm 138 verse 2 tells us that God has magnified His Word above His name. Amen. And so we need to be teaching people about God's Word and how important it is to read it. Because it's not our Word that's magnified. It's not our opinion that's magnified. It's not our opinion that's important. It's what does God's Word say. Amen. I think I told you this story last last. Last week, you know, Nona Freeman stood up and she would ask, you know, stand up if you've read the whole Bible in one year. And, you know, many times it was just a small percentage of the people who had read God's word through in an entire year. Imagine if that was the only criteria for being a disciple. If you read God's word in one year, you're a disciple. If you didn't, you weren't. Right? How many of us would be disciples? Don't answer. I'm just throwing it out there. It's interesting, isn't it? I know this is, seems a bit simplistic, but the reality is, is you cannot build a skyscraper without a foundation. No matter how high that skyscraper is, it's got to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the earth for it to get higher and higher and higher. It's the same thing with our Christian walk. A lot of us want to be Christian skyscrapers, but not many of us want the foundation. Not many of us want to pay the price of spending hours reading God's Word, studying, asking questions. What does this mean, Lord? How does this apply to my life? How could I have missed this before? I mean, even now when I read God's Word, there are so many times I read it and I'll be like, I never saw that before. Right? And I've been reading God's Word for many years. And yet still I discover things I didn't know about God in there. Amen. That means we need to be, for those of you who teach home Bible studies to people, you need to give them a pattern for thinking about God's Word. Get them to ask questions. You know, as a disciple-making church, we cannot be afraid of answer questions. Because when someone is in God's Word, they're going to ask questions. You know, some really tricky questions. Like, if God is a God of love, don't you love questions that start like that? Why did He tell Saul to go and wipe out all the Amalekites? That doesn't sound very loving, does it? 
right? If God is a God of love, why did he turn all the rivers in Nile to blood? If God is a God of love, yeah, just we can't be afraid of those questions, but the only way we are going to be able to answer them is if our lives are built on God's word. And we're not just some pretty looking skyscraper, but we've got a deep foundation into God's word. Someone say, Praise the Lord. Take this jacket off because now I'm getting hot. So we need to be encouraging them. You need to ask questions. Ask questions. I'm not worried about questions. You know, some questions you get, they're going to ask you and you think, oh, yeah, that's an easy question. I can answer that. There's other questions they'll ask and you'll be like, sheesh, I don't know. The answer then is, but it'll be in God's word somewhere. I'm going to go find it and I'll let you know. Amen. Someone say praise the Lord. So the first thing we need to do is we need to abide in God's word. How are we doing for time? Okay. The second thing, let's go to the Gospel of John. Chapter 13. And verse 35. Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35. Say amen when you're there. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. We all want to be disciples, right? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. So the first thing we need to do is we need to abide in God's word. The second thing we need to do is we need to love one another. Now, Jesus gave three points of emphasis in this verse. The first thing was the object to be loved, and that was one another. Not ourselves, not our own interests, not what's important to us. We are to love one another. The measure of that love is also contained in this verse. We are to love like Jesus loved. Now, how did Jesus love? Romans tells us that while we were yet in our sin, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? Jesus loved me when I was unlovable. Jesus loved me when I was lost. Jesus loved me when I didn't love him. Jesus loved me when I wasn't even willing to even consider loving him back. And I'm sure many of us have been in the same position, amen. And yet he still loved us. What does that tell us about a church that will be a disciple-making church? There's going to be some people who come through those doors who are going to be pretty unlovable. Hello. Not everyone's going to look like us, sound like us, smell like us, or talk like us. But we're still commanded to love them because we are to love one another. Amen. Even in our church, and we have quite a multicultural church, we've got something like 10 or 11, I think we're up to 12 different nationalities in our church right now. I can promise you there are things that Brother Isaac eats that I don't like. But I still love him. When Sister Minnie makes a curry that blows my head off because it's so hot, I still love her. Right? Because we're all different. 
Amen. We're all unique. We all have different perspectives and different experiences in life. But none of that matters because if we are a disciple, we will love one another. Amen. And the purpose of that love is so that others see that we are his disciples. Amen. Disciple making includes community. Disciple making or Christianity, sorry, is not in its best in isolation. You know, I've, I've... You say this with a caveat. This might be a news flash for some of you super spiritual folk here, but do you know church is not perfect? It's not. It's really not. Because it's full of broken people. <laughs> Let's be honest. In some measure, we've all either come in broken or in the process of being mended. Church is not perfect. And yet the Bible tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, even more so as we see the second coming of the Lord approaching. Amen. Because it is when we are in community, when we are creating an environment where people belong, that's where we can encourage one another and lift one another up. But in that brokenness sometimes, there can be friction. And some people get that and they label the church as so flawed, they say, I don't want to be a part of it. I can serve Jesus apart from any gathering of mankind. I'm just going to live for God by myself. I don't need to go to church. Can I tell you that's not Christianity at its finest? That's not Christianity at its most ideal state. It is designed to be a community together. Richard Foster wrote, and he said, The Christian life comes not by gritting our teeth, but by falling in love. We are to fall in love with Jesus, and we are to fall in love with one another. Amen? Now, here's something I've learned about marriage. I've been married for 11 years now. And I have discovered... That sometimes love is a decision. It's not always warm, fuzzy, fluffy. All you young people out there who are not married, don't worry. Six months after you're married, you're going to feel like your marriage is on the rocks. (laughs) Because all of a sudden you're waking up next to someone who's got bad breath and fuzzy hair and they don't look the same as what they look like on their wedding day. Hello? Right, And so when we are together as a community of believers, let me tell you, spiritually speaking, some people have bad breath. Some people are a little rough around the edges. Some people are a little fuzzy. Some people don't fit our ideal of what people should look like. Hello? And yet the Bible commands us that we are to love. And in that love, it is a decision that says, I'm going to love you not because you fit what I think you should fit, not because I think you're someone special, not because you've done anything impressive, but because you are a creation of the Lord. I want to love you. You're welcome here. You can fit in here. You can belong here. Amen. Because love is a behavior. Love is not just warm, fuzzy feelings. Love is a behavior. Love is a habit. And that means people need to get connected with the church. You know, we often try to put our best foot forward. And I like that. I think the church should look professional. We should do everything we can to to be as good as we can. Right? But we don't want to also be projecting an image where people walk through this door and think, my God, these people are one step from heaven. They're all perfect. They're all super spiritual. Look at them with all their ties. And my Lord, they're so holy it hurts. 
Amen? We need to be showing people that, hey, we're just a family. That means we've got the good, means we've got the bad, means we've got the beautiful, means we've got the ugly. It means we make mistakes. It means we hurt one another and we offend one another and we step on someone's toes sometimes. But at the same time, we are family. And so we forgive one another. We care for one another. We love one another because it's a decision. Amen. So many people leave church and leave fellowship with God's church because they're just like, I just don't feel loved. And they're looking for just the warm fuzziness and not understanding that it's so much deeper than that. It is a behavior. Amen. Jesus' teaching goes even beyond that. Jesus taught us to love your neighbor as yourself. He tells his disciples to love as he has loved. Now, we picture Jesus sort of sitting on a mountaintop somewhere saying, Love as I have loved you, my children. But the reality was, is when Jesus said those words, he had just finished washing the disciples' feet. Who likes feet? (laughs) Can you imagine washing 12 fully grown men's feet that have been tromping around in the street with dust and dirt and muck and poop and who knows what all over their feet? And yet here's the master of the universe saying, And then he stands up and says, well, you need to love one another like I have loved you. It wasn't warm, fuzzy feelings that made Jesus get down on his knees and wash those disciples' feet. No, he was doing it because he was demonstrating to them that even when it's bad, even when it's ugly, even when things are at their worst, you need to love one another. Someone say amen. Because if there was ever a group that didn't measure up, it was the 12 disciples. Think about it. But Jesus did not expect them to conform to some unattainable expectation. He created an environment that brought out the best in the 12 and they helped them grow. Amen? How are we doing for time? We're running out of time. Try and get through these last few points. Jesus had four things in particular. We're talking about loving one another. There was four things in particular that we need to implement as a church if we want to be a disciple-making church. Here's the first one. Jesus accepted the 12 disciples even as he worked to make them better. We don't need to be setting barriers for people saying, well, if you reach this high, then you can be a part of our church. No way. We just accept people as they are with all their hang-ups, hook-ups, hold-ups, and problems. And we begin to work with them and teach them and train them and help them to become better. But we don't set a barrier to entry, amen? Here's another thing. He was open to the disciples. Jesus was open. He hung out with them. There was no them and us. Well, bless the Lord, I am the Messiah of the universe. You are lucky to be in my presence today. No, he was just one of them. He ate with them. He slept on the ground next to them. He talked with them. They they asked him questions. They probably talked about really stupid stuff. Because he was open with them. We need to be the same with people who come to our church. We need to open up our homes, open up our houses, open up our lives, open up these places so people can come and see, hey, we're just normal people. We have our problems. We have our situations. We're not perfect. Amen? The second thing, the third thing, sorry, is that they all worked together. There was teamwork there. Everybody worked together towards a common 
cause. And the fourth thing was accountability. Jesus held them accountable. There was an expectation that they grow. And you, you see it in the scriptures as they begin to grow. Jesus begins to teach them deeper things and more important things. And, and you know, it says at one point Jesus revealed to them that he was going to die. He didn't tell them right at the beginning, I'm going to die. He wasn't like, hey, Peter, come and follow me. By the way, I'm going to get crucified. Come along. It'll be great. No. But there was a progression. But he held them accountable. Right? It's the same thing with us. We need to hold ourselves accountable. We need to be accountable to one another. Because we need to be challenging each other to grow and to learn. Amen? Amen. Ultimately, because we're talking about love, making disciples is about bringing people into relationship with us. Not just putting them on a program. It's not about the program. It's about relationship. Someone say relationship. Okay, last scripture. John 15. And verse 8. What was the first one? Oh, dear me. Abiding in his word. The second one. Love one another. And the third one, and final one, we'll finish up on this. John chapter 15, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, this is Jesus speaking, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. We need to be bearing fruit in our lives. There needs to be growth. There needs to be fruit. Fruit contains the seeds of reproduction. How do you get an apple? Apple tree. Right? You plant apple seeds. Where do the apple seeds come from? Inside the fruit. Right? Where do pawpaw seeds come from? Inside the fruit. Right? All these fruit that we talk about, the seeds are inside the fruit. Amen? Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. temperance sorry. Where the fruit of the Spirit resides, there is reproductive power. If you want to be a disciple maker that is creating more disciples, you have to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Reproduction is not complete in the process of the fruit, amen. Fruit is a necessary step because that fruit falls from the seed and from that seed springs another tree. But if you don't have fruit, you're never going to get another tree. Amen. Herschel Hobbes put it like this. He said, the work of evangelism is never complete until the evangelized becomes the evangelizer. How many of those, we, we talked about this in our connect group. I don't know, for those in our connect group, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but how many people who received the Holy Spirit three years ago are now teaching home Bible studies? How many of them are involved in winning others to the Lord? Because here's the thing. Activity is no substitute for fruit bearing. We can look like disciples, sound like disciples, act like disciples, and do everything that looks good. But if there's no fruit, 
It's all for nothing. It's like that contraption I was telling you about right at the beginning. It can look like a great machine. It weighs something like seven ton. It's two stories tall. But it does nothing. It produces nothing. Heaven forbid that we ever become a church that makes a lot of noise and does all the right things but produces nothing. We have to be a church that produces fruit. Amen? So what does that mean? That means we need to get involved, church. Ain't nobody got a free ticket. We need to find somewhere in the church that we can serve. We did an exercise in our Connect group a couple weeks ago. where We tried to write down, you remember this, Sister Minnie? We wrote down as many jobs as we could in the church. And I think the list came to like, 25 or 30 or something well sister Janie went home and she started adding to that list I think she's come up with a list of like 300 different jobs to be done in the church some of them are really small like changing the water behind the platform turning the lights on putting the flags out right there is a place for you to serve in the kingdom of God you just need to be faithful and be willing to be used. Amen? Too often we just sit back and go, oh, someone else will take care of that. Someone else will do that job. Someone else will run that. Someone else will look up that. No, you do it. You do it. Be fruitful. Get planted. Start creating fruit. And then as these jobs begin to grow and begin to develop, and as you begin to grow and you begin to develop, you develop fruit, and people come in and we find somewhere for them to serve. And they begin to grow. And they begin to develop fruit. Amen. Why don't we all stand this morning? Get ready to finish up. The reality is is that disciple making is an intentional product of the church. It is something we have to be absolutely intentional about. Amen. And not only do we have to be intentional, but it's everybody's job. Put your hand up. Say, I'm a disciple maker. Right. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the leadership team's job. Everybody is a disciple maker. Everybody needs to find somebody that can say, hey, let me become your disciple maker. Let me show you how I live for God. Let me encourage you. Let me build you up. Let me, let me have a look at my life. It's not perfect. It's flawed. It's got problems. But let me show you the journey that I'm on. Let me share it with you so you can follow after me on your journey as well. Amen. Every ministry that we do needs to have this as a focus. If it's Sunday school, it needs to be focused on making disciples out of those children. How young is too young to be a disciple? I don't know. Think about it. But I try and spend time praying with Jonathan. I teach him about God's Word already. He's four years old. He knows Jesus loves him. He knows Jesus has a gift for him. He knows that there's a God. He's becoming a disciple. He doesn't really know it yet, but he's becoming a disciple. He's learning more about God, right? As young as you can get, start teaching them about God. You're a disciple maker to your children. Encourage them, teach them, instruct them, help them learn. Amen? Every ministry we have, Sunday school, youth, men's, ladies, connect groups, everything needs to be done with a focus on are we helping people grow? Are they becoming disciples? Someone say praise the Lord.
Why don't we just shut our eyes? Let's, let's just talk to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Precious Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for each person that's here, Lord. You've